Let's have a word of prayer. I'll be moving around a lot today because I need to look at some things that people, I think about the messages that will be preached this day. And I've got to be honest with you, I'm a tad bit troubled about it. Let's pray and see what the Word of God says. Father, thank You. Thank You for the resurrection that You preordained it before You even spoke existence into being. Father, we who are here today to celebrate this, I have beseeched Your throne for weeks that You would give all of us ears to hear, all of us eyes to see, And all of us souls that would be overwhelmed by what this day is. Thank you, my King. As I think about it, yes, it is the promise of your return. Thank you, Father. Help us to hear what the resurrection truly means to each and every one of us. To your glory and praise. Amen. I'm going to jump first into John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him is life. And the life is the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, nor does it comprehend it today. If you look at the end of the book, he says many more miracles were done that would fill all the books of the world. But I give you these so that you might believe. Okay, do you understand all of this? I was thinking about the song Amazing Grace. Do you know that if God sent each and every one of us to hell for a little while and then let us out, it's still Amazing Grace? If He sent us to some place for a while that was out of His presence and then brought us to heaven, that would be Amazing Grace. But do you realize what He did? He said that by what I'm going to do, you will be my sons, joint heirs. Now, I don't know about you, but that fits with a seriously phantasmagorical grace. I mean, amazing is like, well, I don't think that's a big enough word. But you know what else I found? Not only did he make us sons of the Most High God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 20 and 21 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ Be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God 
in Him. Not only are we sons of God, we are now ambassadors of Christ, and every man, woman, and child called by His name should be begging people to be reconciled to God. When I think about it, from a pastor's perspective, I should be a man of God, not of people. I should have a greater concern of the courts of God than the council of men. Consumed with Christ. Part of the reason when I used the little illustration of that every time we open our mouth, we fail. Is because if you're truly honest to this book, the more you look at it, the more you realize your mind can't handle it. Charles Spurgeon says, All language combined for eternity fails from glory to glory to understand the full glory of Christ. I've had an opportunity to talk to some of the greatest preachers that the world has ever known. Some are deceased, some are not. And then I've read some of the greatest preachers that were ever known back to the Scottish Reformation and others. And, and there was a question that used to keep bouncing around. It doesn't usually happen anymore. And I, I don't know why. Well, I do because it's become a man-centered church. But I remember asking and reading. I mean, everyone from Robert Murray McShane to Dr. MacArthur, if you had one message, one message, you can only give one message. What would you speak on? And whether it was McShane, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Charles Spurgeon, John Knox, even Wesley, Dr. Olford, Charles Stanley, they all said the same. I would share the attributes of God. That's the one message. Now you think about that for a second. What do you hear normally? Men. But if you really want to know what the first step of the gospel is, who is God? It's not the knowledge of men, but it is the knowledge of God. That's why when you study your book, you start realizing your head ain't getting all of this. Because you're dealing with infinite and you're finite. That's why they can stand and say, the preacher has the most futile job ever on the planet. He cannot articulate this. We are not to deal with sin because we all understand sin. We can look around. But what we don't understand about sin is because of the attributes of God. Who is God? 
How big is God? Romans chapter 3 says he is just a justifier. But if you spend time, you spend time, you spend time searching the scripture of the person of God, you're going to run into some problems. It's funny, I listen to people who want to debate. Is there a God? Is there not? Contradictions and contradictions this. And you know what? I know more contradictions than the people who are trying to find it. And you know what? Yet they are not contradictions. But when you first, at first reading, you sit there and go, how does that work? That's why I want to share this message today. Because we look at an empty tomb and we go, hallelujah. I look at an empty tomb and say, wow. He is just and he is justifier. Amen. All right, then let's begin a little research and see how this works. I want to take you back for a while because I want you to understand that it hasn't changed. So I'm going to go to Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 through 7. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood there with him, Moses, and he called upon the name of the Lord. And then the Lord passed in front of him, proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and in truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgressions and sin. Yet, here's where things start getting sticky. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren for the third and fourth generations. Hmm. But it said, he's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. Who keeps loving kindness for a thousand, who forgives iniquities, transgressions and sin. Yet... He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, even chasing it down to the fourth generation. See the dilemma? Let me give you another one. Psalms 32, verse 1. Interesting statement. This is uh, from David. How blessed... Is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered? Hey, wait a minute. I thought he couldn't do that. How can he cover sin? Proverbs 17. Verse 15. Interesting proverb Solomon writes here. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. Do you see a problem yet? How righteous was the Lord Jesus Christ? Nobody knows. 
only as righteous as his father. Okay? What does that proverb say? Who condemned Jesus Christ? For what? Thought he was righteous. How does that work? See what happens when you guys leave me alone. Micah, chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity? Wait a minute. Who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possessions. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. Look at verse 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all of their sins into the depths of the sea. Fascinating, don't you think? I hope you're seeing a greater view of the resurrection. Okay? If you refuse to come to Jesus Christ for salvation, you will spend eternity paying the penalty. Okay? Jesus Christ, in about three hours, three and a half hours, took the entire creation's billions and billions and billions of people who have sinned and paid their penalty in three hours. Every single sin. Not just the big ones. But the little ones too. You know what that means? When you read verse 18 there, he will treat our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all of their sins into the depth. Jesus Christ had the world's largest millstone tied around his neck and was cast into the sea with all of your iniquities and my iniquities. All of humanity's were cast at one shot. He was trampled underfoot. Whose iniquities? Jesus Christ had them all. Even the little bitty bearing false witness ones. We talk about his righteousness imputed to us. We all get chills. Ooh, I got his chills. Let me see if I can put it to you in redneck language. If you believe you are declared right with God. Now, you know what's amazing about that? Not only are you declared right with God, you are treated as if you are right with God. If you are guilty then you are treated as such. Jesus Christ was treated 
as guilty of committing every sin that humanity has ever created or will ever do. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, For as many are the works of the law, are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all of the things written in the book of the law to perform them. If you look down just a little farther in verse 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. I was reading Linsky. Linsky made an, an, a great statement. But it kind of haunts me a little bit. As an unbeliever stands before Jesus Christ in his or her final judgment. Do you know what the last thing that person will hear? The applause of heaven knowing that heaven is being rid of sin. Now think about that for a second, because we have these words that we listen to a lot, we smile about, and we're thankful for. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. This is Aramaic. You know why it says? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me show you how this works. Hopefully. In the second law, Deuteronomy, you have chapter 27 and 28. You're not going to believe it, but there was an issue, a division in the camp of Israel. Surprise. Okay. And so God tells Moses to split the people up and go up on two mountaintops. Now, I'm not going to go through a complete exposition of this because we'll be here till next Easter. He says, and I want those who will keep the covenant, be a part of my covenant. I want them to get on top of this mountain and I want them to shout the blessings of being covenant keepers. Those who do not want to keep the covenant go to the other mountain and I want them to shout the curses that come for breaking the covenant. Remember what I said. You do not keep the whole law, what? Condemned by the whole thing. It was a divided camp. Cursed is the man who makes an idol or a molten image, an abomination to the Lord. The work of the hands of the craftsmen, it sets up in secret and all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed! Is he who dishonors his father and mother. 
Cursed is he who moves his neighbor's boundary mark. Cursed is he who misleads a blind person on the road. Cursed is he who distorts the justice due an alien, orphan, or widow. Cursed is he who lies with his father's wife. Cursed is he who lays with any animal. Cursed is he who lies with his sister, daughter, father, mother. Cursed is he who lies with a mother-in-law. Cursed is he who strikes his neighbor in secret. Cursed is he who accepts a bride and strikes down. Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of the law by doing them. On the other mountaintop, the Lord will make you abound in prosperity. Your offspring of your body and in the offspring of your beast and in the produce of your ground in the land which the Lord swore to the fathers to give to you. The Lord will open for you his good storehouses. He will give you rain for your land in this season. Bless all the work of your hand and he shall lead many of the nations, but you shall not borrow. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail and above all. You will be above and you will not be underneath. Listen to the commandments of the Lord your God. I charge you this day. Observe them carefully. Now I'm going to ask you a simple question. Two mountaintops. Which one do you on? Which one are you on? I can tell you. The cursed side. That side, you will be cursed in the city. You'll be cursed shall be in the country. You shall be cursed in your basket and your kneading bowls. You'll be cursed as you offer your offspring and your body produces the ground and increase to your herds. You'll be cursed when you come in. You'll be cursed when you go out. The Lord will send upon you curses, confusions, rebuke, and to all you undertake to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly on the account of the evil of your deeds. You want me to go on? Now then, I'm going to ask you a question. Jesus is sitting there in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, if possible, remove this cup. Right? What's in the cup? I'll tell you. Psalm 75, verse 8. For a cup is in the hand of the Lord, and the wine foams. It is well mixed, he pours it out for this. Surely all of the wicked of the earth must drain and drink down its dregs. Why? Because in Jeremiah chapter 25, 15, and 16, the cup is his wrath, his sword, and you shall pay. It pleased the Lord to curse him. I, I, I want you to think with me for just a moment of what I've just shared. Take your Ten Commandments, whatever you want to do, or you can look at the covenant. Uh, you can do that one too. But let me ask you something. If you had to tell me what is the greatest sin, what would you tell me? Any ideas? 
How about this? What's the greatest commandment? What would be the greatest sin? Now let me give you some food for thought here, people. Of the billions of human beings that have walked this planet. Okay? Now think about it for a minute. We've got five billion on the planet right now. There's been some that was previous. Most calculations say at Noah's flood, there was close to five billion. Okay? Take every man, woman, and child who has ever existed. And do you realize... Not one of them for one nanosecond has done that. No one for a second can say honestly that I have loved the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yet, one has and has never not loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's never been an instant that he did not do it fully. You know why I know that? The tomb is empty. Kind of a different view of this thing, isn't it? Kind of a different view. It pleased the Lord to crush him. It pleased the Lord to curse him. It pleased the Lord to say, Every sin of my creation that has rebelled against me from the beginning, you pay the price. And Jesus' deal was, I will, under this condition. What's that condition? I ain't making this up, people. I got Bible for it. Okay? It is never held against them. That's what John 17 is. We call it the Lord's Prayer. That is what he's doing since he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Oh, look at that knucklehead again. I, I got it covered. Look at she. I got it covered. Do you realize that? My goodness, and we want to worry about an Easter bunny? I didn't get any chocolate or jelly beans. That's what the resurrection is, brothers and sisters. That's why, to me, it is the greatest. There's nothing second to it. I wish that people would understand it. I heard a dissertation with a pastor. He was teaching at a secular college. And a guy stood up and says, Sir, I have a question. He says, What is your question, young man? He says, You're telling me that one man paid the sins of multitudes, as you say. And the pastor looked at him for a minute. And he says, What you mean for evil, God means for good. So sit down. Young man, sit down. He says, let me explain something. Take every mountain, every molehill, every cricket, every bug, every animal that has ever walked the planet, anything that has ever been beautiful, anything that is worth exalting, put it on the scales, and you put Jesus on the other side, and he outweighs it all. Good illustration. Why don't we have fire for that? My 
my gosh. I've seen so much information on peeps. I don't care. Dude, I'm a diabetic. I eat one, I see Jesus. The wine cup of God's eternal wrath fell upon His Son. We all know Abraham and Isaac stretched him out on the altar, raised his knife to plunge it into his chest, and as he got it up over his head, the Lord stopped him. And we get the term Jehovah Jireh. The Lord provides. A few thousand years later, God's son on a cross is stretched out and God stabs him to death. You know why? Jehovah Jireh. That is what this is about. That is what this is about. There is not a sin. He has not been tempted. Beyond your understanding. We get tempted and we hold out for a minute. Two minutes. Look, look, look. I'm making three minutes. Ooh, four minutes. Yes, yes, yes. Five minutes. Crushed. Our Lord, our Redeemer stood with all of sin of humanity upon his shoulders. He bore out his chest and said, so be it. And I was so successful, there's no body. There is no body. Brothers, sisters, that's Calvary. That's Calvary. That's what this is. Why do we celebrate it? Really? Look what he did. That's amazing to me. Wrap your head around that sucker. You can't look at it and say, well, you know, he took our iniquities and he made a little ball out of them and he threw them in the river. That ain't what that was. He said the penalty of humanity is on him. And yet he was so infinite that he could pay all of those sins in three and a half hours. And he says, and I'll prove it because in three days, guess what? You'll find an empty tomb. All right, I'm going to close with a thought. I heard a question that's been asked to me years ago. I heard it asked of other people. I'm thinking there's a book out there, a conspiracy book somewhere, that people run around saying, let's ask this question. Each of you on this resurrection day. Can you be alone with God? I'm saying, take the rest of it away from you. Can you be alone with God?
because that's what the resurrection is. Talks about going through the narrow gate. Why is that? To be alone with God. Let me kind of rephrase it. Can he be your dwelling place? I don't need any of the other things. Absolutely committed. Two mountaintops. There's only one covenant keeper ever walked the planet. Okay? And he can say, look, these are the blessings. All the rest of us are cursed. And yet if you think about him on the cross, you ever seen the Beatitudes? Blessed is the poor spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you're a covenant breaker, do you know you're just the opposite of all of those? Read through them. Cursed is he who's not poor of spirit, and they shall never enter heaven. Go through it. Read it. And just think about it for a second, because we have two covenants, brothers and sisters. You can either break it, or you can follow it. I have an Old Testament or an Old Covenant. I've got a New Testament or a New Covenant. Jesus Christ paid the bill. All of it. Not only did he pay the bill, he keeps paying the bill. Brothers and sisters, that's Easter. That's Resurrection Day. That's why we take the cup the first of the month. Why? It is the covenant in his blood. I hope that you will all walk from here and ponder these the days that God graces you on this planet. And that each of you will understand when he says, Paul tells us that you are not your own. You have been bought and paid for with a price. Do you understand the bill that you owed? Because it's easy to say, gosh, you forgive me. Do you understand why you needed to be forgiven? Okay? It is a glorious celebration. But I think there's times we kind of get cavalier in our little lives and we miss the reason that the glory is actually there. Because we were stink pots. Earthen vessels that take the wastewater out of the home. That's what we are. Clay pots. And yet he said, I will redeem it. Now how can God still be just when he judged he who was just? Very simple. Read John's gospel. What does it say? No one takes my life. I lay it down freely. This was a conspiracy of the Godhead. And they accomplished it. Happy Resurrection Day. Let us pray. Father, you have redeemed us. And it was truly, truly, truly successful. Because, Father, we can rejoice in an open and empty grave. Father, I pray that each of us can be alone with you at any given time. Any time that you want our undivided attention and want to just draw us unto yourself. Father, may you be our dwelling place. May you be our hope. May you be our pleasure. May you be our comforter, our counselor. Father, may you put a thirst in each of our souls for your word. That we would be overwhelmed to dig deeper.
to know more. To gaze upon you as Moses wanted to on the mountain. See your glory, your goodness. See your long suffering. But Father, to always be king of your wrath. Help us, my Lord, my Savior. These strange, strange days. Help us. In Christ's name. Amen.